Today's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Again, that's Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one under the chair in front of you, and you can open it to page 887. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on this flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies through, the, through his word who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. As we begin uh, this message, let's start with a prayer. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Um, so before we get into the next book, um, you know, I, I'm always wondering what topic should I preach on? What current event is looming uh, over us all? What's wrong with the world today? Uh, abortion, racism, inflation, political unrest. So I thought I could preach on something a little bit more encompassing, similar to the topic of envy we had a few weeks ago. If you want to know what's wrong with the world today, and how we fix it, the only solution I have is, and the only solution in the Bible is, repent. The only solution that we have is to repent. There's a thinker by the name of Yuval Harari, and this is what he said. And I'm going to get into it a little bit. And Yuval Harari is pretty well known. Billionaires, the richest people in the world, they like his thinking. People like Bill Gates find him to be like one of their favorite authors and such. Anyway, this is what Harari said. Nobody is ever made happy by winning the lottery, buying a house, getting a promotion, or even finding true love. People are made happy by one thing and one thing only, pleasant sensations in their bodies. I'll repeat that one more time. Nobody's ever made happy by winning the lottery, buying a house, getting a promotion, or even finding true love. People are made happy by one thing and one thing only, pleasant sensations in their bodies. 
which is created by chemicals. So if we put those chemicals in our bodies, then we are in fact happy, are we not? These chemicals like serotonin and dopamine, which we know cause pleasant sensations in the brain. If we put these chemicals into a cup and were able to ingest it, people like Harari would surmise that the world would be a much happier place. It would be the cure for sadness in the world, making it the happy place, or so the argument goes. But this, along with Nietzsche, Freud, Marx, and many others, these are the prophets foretelling us of the coming materialistic future world. These are prophets foretelling us of the coming of a completely materialistic world. Is it true, though, in the very least, it would feel strange to us, at least most of us at first glance. When you listen to it, it feels a little strange. And if someone close to you dies and your grief is overwhelming, just take a hit of that dopamine juice, and just like that, you're laughing again. And maybe that still sounds strange to you. Would you take a hit of that juice if you could, though? If you could take a hit of that juice, would you? And the nitty-gritty of this uh, gets apparently extremely complex, but I want to talk a, a little bit about smartphones. Smartphones, when you look at it, we now know it gives us dopamine surges. And dopamine, as many of you will probably know, is a neurotransmitter responsible for feelings of pleasure and reward. You know, if you finish a hard day's work or you finish a project or you win that race, you finish a workout, you get a dopamine surge, and then you get feelings of pleasure. And this is how we tend to form habits. And studies show that repeated uses of smartphones and its apps affect the pleasure center of the brain. And when I say it's complex, I'm not saying that the, addictive, the addictiveness of phones is, uh, well, that's in debate or dispute. There's no doubt about it. It's the matter of how addicted we are to our phones. And researchers find ways of things like making apps and programs more appealing, trying to entice those pleasure centers more and more as much as possible. And when I say complex, I mean they've gotten it down to the science where they research down to the colors, okay? And our eyes gravitate toward warm and bright colors. <clears throat> that's why Instagram's logo used to be brown. If you remember, when they first came out with their app, it used to be brown. But if you look at the logo now, they changed it to yellow, orange, red, purple because it's a warmer and brighter color. And then when you open your phone, these colors cause visual stress, which makes it really hard to resist looking at it. And this is why many of us cannot disconnect, even for a second, you can't take a break from Instagram, Facebook, and the dreaded TikTok. You can't disconnect, and for reasons that I'm saying are a little bit complex, but with each passing day, we see society getting weaker, more corrupt, leaving the principles God has ordered. Why can't you disconnect, though? Why can't you disconnect? And to answer all of this, I sincerely believe we need to get to the foundational issues. And here is one. 
I'm trying to make the jump between what I just said and this foundational issue. Suffering isn't the worst thing in the world. And pleasure isn't the greatest thing in the world. Suffering is not the worst thing in the world, and pleasure is not the greatest thing in the world. But the more you reach for that dopamine hit, the more you reinforce the opposite of those statements. Why spend time with your family when you could just scroll through your feed? Or maybe this is better. Once I take care of my family duties, I can finally have some me time and scroll through my feed. But every time we do this, we are reinforcing the idea that pleasure is the greatest thing and suffering is the worst thing. And this goes against the principles of God and, in fact, aligns us then with the world. Now this morning, I wanted to go over some elements in Romans 8, but also in Galatians 5. I wanted to go back and forth between these two passages. And I wanted to put these two passages together to hopefully show us what the Bible means when it separates the spirit and the flesh. We've read this morning that those who live according to the flesh will set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Because the ultimate destination of those who set their minds on the things of the flesh is death. And don't we know this to be absolutely true? Even if there are those that do not believe in God, they know they're going to die. But if you set your mind on the Spirit, the Bible says, the Word of God teaches us, there is life and peace. I believe this is the ultimate practice of those who set their minds on the things of the flesh. Your whole life is about doing things while asking the question, Will this give me pleasure? Because you have been enticed with pleasure and sensations, your flesh controls you, and then you are bound to do its bidding. As verse 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So Paul is making a clear distinction here. If you are of the flesh, you are unregenerate and you are hostile toward God. You don't submit to God's law because you can't. You can't help yourself but to help yourself. And you cannot please God. Not so if your mind is set on the spirit. The regenerate person is contrasted with the person of the flesh to show that the key difference, the key difference between the two is that the Spirit of God dwells in him. Now that's the key difference. Do you live according to the flesh, hostile toward God, bound to death, unable to submit to God's law, unable to please him, or do you live according to the Spirit, where the Spirit of Christ dwells in you and you belong to him? How can you tell the difference between the two? Is it as simple as the unregenerate person who sets their minds on the things of the flesh, are addicted to their phones and pleasure centers, and the regenerate person is some kind of stoic that lives in the mountains and just lives on the plant life and water? 
What I'm really trying to get at is, do you think that the difference between the flesh and the spirit is simply the difference between a hedonist and a stoic? There's one place in the Bible where it shows us both the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And that's in Galatians 5, 16, 24. So I'll be going back and forth from here in Romans 8 to Galatians 5. So you can turn with me. It's in Galatians 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 16 to 24. <clears throat> in Galatians 5, uh, 16 to 24, Paul writes this to the Galatians. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, and here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, which, by the way, is pharmakeia, which is where we get the word for pharmacy or drugs, okay? That's sorcery or pharmakeia. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, if you want to know what's wrong with the world, you can read the paper or listen to the news. But if you want to know why the world is in such a mess, it's in the Word of God. In Galatians, Paul also contra contrasts the flesh and the spirit, saying that they are opposed to each other. They do not want the same things. And if your mind is set on the things of the flesh, here are its works. And the list isn't meant to be comprehensive. He ends the list with, and things like these. Because it's meant to show us that it all stems and it goes down from this one branch. It's the branch of the flesh. The first thing on that branch, however, is pretty notable. What's the first thing on that branch? It's sexual immorality. That's the Greek word translated porneia. And so what is porneia? I'm going to define porneia for us today. Porneia is any sexual activity outside the confines of a marriage between a man and his wife. It's where we get the word for pornography, and it stems from the concept, this meaning of selling off. You're selling off. That's what porneia is. So what are you selling off? You are selling off your sexual purity. That's porneia. And maybe you've heard from some people that, especially of recent date, um, leaders, so-called Christians, will say, God doesn't take sexual sins seriously. 
greed, hypocrisy maybe, but didn't Jesus forgive the adulteress? I would like to respond, to think this is not just grievous error, but it maligns the precepts of God. God never whispers about any sin and shouts about others. All sin is detestable to God, for he is holy, and he shall reign forevermore. And to that, people may respond, Ah, that's too simplistic. Surely you don't believe that all sins have equal weight. When people say this, it isn't usually in reference to someone stealing a piece of candy from the store. They usually are referencing sexual sins. But you would be hard-pressed, you would be hard-pressed to find a sin more frequently and seriously condemned in the New Testament than porneia. We see God even punishing King David for sleeping with Bathsheba by taking away their child and bringing turmoil upon his entire house. He was kicked out of his country. And so porneia tops this list. It is the sin that enraptures the soul. This is the sin that no one thinks is serious. And maybe you've heard that God quote-unquote whispers about sexual sin, but that is a blatant and deliberate lie. When Jesus was asked about divorce, he responded by referencing sexual purity. He said, what do you think about divorce? And he responds this way, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. In 1 Corinthians, Paul urges the church in Corinth to flee from porneia. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's why porneia and idolatry are tied together. And it should be no wonder now that as our nation continues to move away from God's design for sex and marriage, we see an unraveling of every other sin. The Bible shows us that sex was designed by God and he determined its parameters for use. It's clear that sex was created to be enjoyed between a man and his wife in covenant marriage until one of them dies. This was God's sacred gift to humans. Anything outside of these parameters, adultery, premarital sex, pornography, homosexuality, transsexuality, whatever it is, are outside of God's order and design. And the more man abandons God's order, the more chaos will ensue. Because man cannot create order. He can only either submit to it or be hostile to it. 
But now we see the knowledges or the sciences trying to make sense of creation without a creator. They want so badly to have out of chaos come order. Order can descend into chaos, but it's never the other way around. You don't have chaos naturally without assistance come to order. And where chaos begins, you may have heard if you're in the sciences, where chaos begins, classic science stops. You can't have any semblance of knowledge if 2 plus 2 didn't always equal 4. Even chaos theory was developed to quantify or make sense and place in order chaos. But man in his unregenerate state does not want to submit to God's order and design. He continually has excuses and rationalizations that will eventually have him descend into chaos. And so here are some common objections to following God's commands against porneia. Number one, we love each other though, but we love each other. Love is commanded once you're in marriage, but the Bible makes no distinction between loving and unloving sexual relations. The only distinction that we see is made between married and unmarried. Sex within the confines of marriage is blessed and sex outside of marriage is called sexual immorality or porneia. Another one is, but we're married in God's eyes. What this really does, it pulls down God to the level of your sin. God created the covenant of marriage, and this is why we now convey our vows to our marriage partner in front of witnesses before engaging in sexual activity. And that vow that you make is until death do you part. Another one is times have changed. Times have changed. This may be the weakest of the three common arguments, but it's one made nonetheless. And to that I respond with, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Times may change, we will change, but the word of God never changes. So in Hebrews 13.4 it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Paul, in referencing marriage, says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That's what Paul is saying. This is, the marriage is such a profound mystery. It's been given to us because it refers to Christ and his bride, the church. Sadly, many of those that even claim to be Christ followers have loosened what should not have been loosened regarding sexual purity. And from there, the whole list of the works of the flesh started to unravel even in these churches and denominations. We cannot lose sight of the plan God has for us as men and us as women of God. When we confuse the two roles, when we make light of the part each is to play within the confines of a covenant marriage, society will disintegrate, our institutions will be corrupt, and we will witness God's judgment on the world. And this starts with, this started with the garden. What is God's law? 
What is the command God gave Adam? And what did the woman say to the serpent? She goes, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat all the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall we touch it, lest do you die. When our understanding of the word of God is even slightly modified, it's Satan that comes back and says, you will not surely die. This is the price of setting our minds on the things of the flesh. This is what happens when we make pleasure our apocalyptic goal. Excuse me. And according to the Census Bureau, in the United States of America in 2021, only 17.8% of households are married parents with children. So that means out of 130 million U.S. households, only 23.1 million of them are married parents with kids. Over 37 million adults lived alone in 2021. Marriage is in decline. The birth rate is in decline. And you don't have to be a genius to know that this is the beginning of a crumbling civilization. People are now threatening civil war if we repeal that unlawful legislation from the bench to allow for the murder of babies. And even with the low number of kids being born, are we protecting them? Are we raising them well? You know, parents, if you're listening to this and you're a parent, parents have been endowed by God to protect and raise their children. You've been endowed by God. You've been given this delegation of authority to protect and raise your children. You can choose to delegate some of that responsibility to the state and public education. But the teachers do not have authority over your child that you do not give them. Ephesians 6, children are to obey their parents in the Lord for this is right. Protect them from the evils of the world. Show them what is good what is noble and beautiful. And if you're a public school teacher, your master is not the state. It is not the board of ed. You have been called to serve Christ with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. Fear God and not man. This one is a little rough. The CIA was in the news the other day one media agency through the Freedom of Information Act, you may have heard about it, was able to find out that multiple agents of the CIA, at least 10, were found to have committed sexual assault against children. This is rape against children and in some cases as young as two and six. Are they going to get charged? Of the 10 instances described in the report, only one person was ever charged. The rest of the cases were sent back to the CIA to handle internally, whatever that means. A 2009 ICE report reveals that several Pentagon staff were subscribed to child pornography sites as well. It's never just one small sin. The descent can seem slow and gradual at first, but the momentum will lead you into a free fall into hell. And I believe that we are seeing clear evidence of this today. 
porneia is not just some small sin we're to whisper about. We must make every effort to flee from it so that we can stand firm in the faith. Those who continue to succumb to it are not of the Spirit. And here are the exact words. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Repent and turn from the sin that so easily entangles. Do whatever you can. Do not give up. And if porneia and the subsequent list is of the flesh, then what is of the spirit? And continue on in Galatians chapter 5. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the first character of the fruit of the Spirit is love, agape. And it was explained to us in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It is the pinnacle of chapter 13. And in Galatians, it is the first on the list that embraces all the subsequent aspects when rightly understood about the fruit of the Spirit. It should immediately point you to the fact then that porneia and agape are opposing forces. Sexual immorality, no matter how much you romanticize it, will never be love. It will never be the love that God has created and designed for us. So how do we walk in the Spirit? If you might say, if it's as difficult as you say, it's as addictive as you say it is, subversive as you say it is, how can anyone possibly survive? And that's why this passage of Galatians and the passage in Romans end this way. In Galatians, it ends this way. All those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And in Romans that we read, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. When you put these two things together, we see this come to life and in play in our lives. When Paul and Silas were jailed in Acts 16, they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And then there was this earthquake. It was so great that their bonds were loosed, and the prison doors unlocked. When the jailer saw this, they saw that he saw that all the bonds that he had, the prisoners were loosened and the doors were wide open. What did the jailer do? He took out a sword because he was going to kill himself. Why? Why was he going to kill himself? Because what awaited him was worse than to just kill himself now. So when he's about to kill himself, Paul cries out, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. He went to Paul and Silas, trembling in fear, and this is what he asked him. The jailer goes, why didn't you leave? That's not what he asked him. He didn't ask him that. He didn't go, why didn't you leave? He didn't ask, 
How did this come to be? How did you do this? He didn't ask that either. When the jailer went to Paul and Silas, he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And that's the question you ask when you recognize the hopelessness of your situation and the depravity of your sin. And the solution is, and always has been, and always will be, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. It's Jesus that puts his righteousness on you, yes, but he also gives you his Holy Spirit power. The Holy Spirit gives you his power. To do what? To fly? To do miracles? What does he give you power to do? To bear his fruit. Who really has the power of the Holy Spirit? Look at their fruit. Is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? What did the jailer do once he heard the good news? You know what he did? He got baptized, took all his family and got them baptized. And then the Bible says that he rejoiced along with his entire household that had believed in God. And this is what we're doing here. That's what's going on here. We gather to rejoice in the fact that we have believed in God. We rejoice in what God has done, is doing right now, and what he will do for all eternity with the power of his Holy Spirit to make us more like him. The two branches, one of the flesh and the other is of the Spirit. Those that were once of the flesh, when they believe in God, God sets them on the other path, which branches away from their sinfulness like pornea, and then goes to holiness and love. For those still stuck in their sins, the call is for you to repent. Turn from your sins and turn to Christ. And I believe that for many of you, there is fear. There's fear because while you say that you believe, you do not bear the fruit of the Spirit, but do the works of the flesh. So what do you do now? How do you set your mind on the Spirit? If you go down just a few verses in Romans 8, this is what, it's writ what is written. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is the same address Jesus used when he prayed to the Father. It is the prayer that he taught us to pray when he said, lead us, into, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because this is who Jesus was. He was tempted in every way, but did not sin. It's Jesus who conquered sin. So we turn to Jesus. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's been tempted in every way that we have. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In Christ, you can have the confidence that when you cry out to God, 
He will have mercy on your soul. Acknowledge your sinfulness and weakness to Him. When you cry out to God, instead of being conformed to this world, you will be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You will know what the will of God is, and you will rejoice in following Him. And that's what living a life of repentance is. To no longer set your mind on the things of the flesh, but to set your mind on the Spirit. And this is assured to those that believe in Christ because He gives us His Holy Spirit. And this is why we can praise God step by step, moment by moment. This is not a gradual descent into chaos and sin, but step by step, moment by moment, it's the power of God that is bringing you to Himself. And this is every reason to rejoice and praise the Lord for all eternity. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel that you give us. In the world where we are enticed to sin over and over again, where it seems hopeless, where it may seem dark, where we may become hardened, Lord, by your mercy, you softened our hearts. And you have given us the good news of Jesus Christ. That when we ask what must we do to be saved, we are not left without an answer. But we have been given Jesus Christ. So now let us hold on and cling to Christ as we continue on this journey to sanctification, to holiness, to what you desire us to be. Let's take this time to pray. And let's lift up prayers to God in repentance of maybe the things that we've been branching off on that is not of God, that we need to turn back to Him in, in our word, thought, and deed, but also trusting in His great mercy that He hears the cries of His children, those that He has taught to call Him Abba, Father. So let's pray to God in that confidence and faith.